0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit GeorgiaFaith.com. Thank you for listening. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So what'd you do for Mother's Day last week? Were you able to make it a day all about mom? What she wanted to eat or what she wanted to do. I, mean, I think it's especially appropriate for our culture to set aside a day that's all about moms because, well, the, the truth about motherhood is that motherhood is a life that's well lived almost entirely for someone else. You know, you think about it, from the moment you become a mother, you're no longer living for yourself. I mean, the, min- the minute you become pregnant, suddenly your whole life is about another life. I mean, the baby starts by tricking out your body for about nine months, making it happy for itself, not for you. And that baby, once it's born, it's not, it's going to keep taking pieces of you day after day, right? I mean, first, it takes your sleep, one bottle at a time, one feeding at a time. For you young mothers, I hate to break the news to you, it doesn't change much as they get older, you just lose sleep about different things. And right? it's not about bottles, it's about curfews, it's not about, it's not about feedings, it's about boyfriends and things like that. But you know, the babies don't stop taking pieces of mothers by taking their time. I mean, they take their energy, they take their dignity. I mean, moms, can you think about things you found yourself doing where you stop and think, man, if anybody had ever told me I'd be doing this, I'd never believe it. And they don't just take their dignity. I mean, they take, they take your time as you run them from here to there, as you help them with school projects. They take your emotional capital as they go through relationships of their own or, or through life changes. I mean, being a mom is really about a life lived entirely for someone else. You know, someone once said the job description of a mother is you know everything from teacher to nurse to chef to counselor to driver to masseuse to punching bag to coach to friend. And that's pretty accurate. Being a mom is about living completely for someone else. And you do all of this. I mean, you give up all of your time, all your energy, all of your emotions, all this. And you do this for the purpose, the hope, that maybe one day these small people won't want to live with you anymore. Right? That's That's the goal. That they will wake up one day and say, I don't want to live here anymore, and leave. (laughs) Think about that. It's a life wholly lived for someone else. But that's ultimately what we all want. Not just moms, but parents. When our children finally turn out, they become productive members of society, and you you breathe this big sigh of relief and think, okay, they've turned out, life is good. I wonder what was going through Mary's mind on that day on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended into heaven. I wonder what she was thinking, looking back at a life for her, like every mom that had been lived wholly for someone else, and now here 30 some years after his birth, she watched him ascend into heaven. I wonder what she was thinking. We're not entirely sure that Mary was on the Mount of Olives, but I'd be willing to bet on it, because you know what? Mary was there for every important event in Jesus' life, like mothers do. You know, Mary was there from the moment when Gabriel announced the presence of the Son of God in her womb. Mary was there in a Bethlehem stable when rough-looking shepherds came to be the first worshipers of a newborn savior. Mary was there as he grew up, and I'm sure she watched him fall and skin his knee, and she kissed away his tears. And Mary was there to witness the miracles that broke out in his life and ministry as Jesus began to preach and teach. She was there to hear what people said about him, the good from his disciples, the bad from his enemies. She was there on Palm Sunday when Jerusalem welcomed him with palm branches and cries of hosanna. And she was there when Jerusalem's chance turned to crucify, crucify. And you know, she was there when they took her little boy and laid him on a cross of wood and pinned his arms and legs with heavy nails. She was there for a three-hour execution and didn't turn away when she saw the life drain out of her boy. And she was there on that Friday and Saturday with the kind of grief only a mother can know when her son was in the grave. But she was also there on Sunday. She was there on Sunday when he came back from the dead. She was there on Sunday when suddenly this son of Mary proved to everyone that he was also the son of God when he came back from the dead, having defeated death and sin and Satan, when he came back victorious, not as just some preacher from Nazareth, but as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, I have no doubt that she was up there then, on that mountain, the day that Jesus punched a hole in the sky. I wonder what she was thinking. Well, she had no question about whether or not her boy turned out. Because he had come and he had done everything he was told to do by his Father. He had come and fulfilled every prophecy of Scripture. Remember, Jesus was foretold for centuries and centuries because God was going to solve the problem of sin being in this world. And the way he was going to solve it was that God would become one of us, mankind, so that he could die in our place, rise from the dead, forgive us our sins, and open the gates to eternal life. And then, when it was all done, he ascended into heaven. That's what this day is about, this ascension day. And there is a reason the church has celebrated this day for many, many centuries, because on this day, we note that Jesus' earthly work was complete. He had come and done it all. And now it was time for the high prince of the heavenly kingdom to go home, to return as a conquering king, like a general leading a triumph, as the Son of God, who became the Son of Mary, returned to his home. He had done everything right, and now he sat down and began to reign. This day, this day is the coronation day, the day when God, who had become man, brought humanity back into heaven to sit on heaven's throne. There's a reason the church has celebrated this for 2,000 years because we have a king who laid aside his crown that he might descend into our darkness and brokenness, only that after he had accomplished everything he could take that crown back up again and rule for you and me. We need to be careful not to misunderstand some of these ascension texts. I know when I was young I used to kind of think about, you read the ascension text So Jesus has done everything and then he tells the church, go and make disciples of all nations and then Jesus leaves. Kind of seemed to me when I was a kid like he was kind of retiring, right? You know, they, uh, I've done enough. I've spent my time. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to heaven. Okay, boys and girls, good luck. This is going to take a little bit of work, but please get after it. We'd be making a mistake. I mean, that'd be like, a, I guess, saying that Jesus retired his ascension is kind of like saying that the work of motherhood is done once labor and delivery is finished. I mean, yes, you're a mother, but that's, that's just the start, right? Labor and delivery is just the beginning. There's a whole lifetime where she, she cares for us and provides for us and protects us, where she laughs with us and she cries for us, where she lives for us and she promises that she would even die for us. I mean, when labor and delivery is over, a mother's just getting started. And Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he did not go there to retire. No, he was just getting started. Because see what happened? on this day, is the great victory that the Son of God won for us. Easter was put into action. See, the ascension of Jesus means that we have a brother on the throne who rules for us, intercedes for us, and prepares for us. And I tell you what, that's something that we really, really need living in the world that we do. I mean, especially with the task that Jesus has given us, right? To you and me, to his church, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's a ridiculously big mission. A ridiculously impossible mission for the, the Holy Christian church today, much less the tiny little group that it was on the top of a mountain. It would be an impossible mission except That huge mission came with an even bigger promise Let me read this promise to you. This is going to become from Paul writing to the Christians in Ephesus and he says this He's talking about Jesus ascension. He says God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Those last three words, that's a powerful promise. That the Son of God, who's sitting on a throne above all thrones, with a name above all names, who has the entire world, the entire universe under his feet, and he rules it all, he says, for us. For the church. He says that everything that's happening in this world is happening for us. For the church. That's a huge promise that we hugely need. Because sometimes it doesn't, doesn't seem like Jesus is reigning. You know, but here's the truth. Jesus reigns even over the brokenness of your life. Jesus reigns, even in the midst of your broken health. Jesus rules, even in the midst of your broken marriage. Jesus reigns, even in the midst of your loss or your sadness. Jesus rules, even when it seems hopeless. Because Here's the thing. We don't have a God who left us in our brokenness. We don't have a God who from on high said, could you please get your lives together? Could you figure it out? Could you stop acting that way? We have a God who looked at our brokenness and he got down into it with us. He became our brother and he lived in this broken world so that when he rose from the dead and ascended the throne of heaven, He knows exactly to whom he's speaking when he says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix everything that's broken in your life. And until I do, until I do, know that I reign. I rule, even over a world that seems shattered. I reign and I rule and I promise you that one day soon I'm going to fix it all. That's such a huge promise that we need, especially because, you know, sometimes it seems like God can be slow in keeping his promises to fix things for us. It can be, it can seem like God's word is not doing its work. That's why Ascension Day is so important for us to remember, to realign our minds and recognize that even when it seems like things aren't working the way we want it to be, Jesus reigns. I, I was struck by this thought uh, when, you know, we just read that passage from Ephesians, uh, a letter that Paul wrote to Christians living in Ephesus. And I was struck by that thought, thinking about the, the congregation, the church there in Ephesus and what they had to face. Um, if you remember, Paul came, preached the gospel in Ephesus, um, the, a small congregation gathered there, but it was a small church with big enemies, I mean, Ephesus was a huge commercial center at the time in the Roman Empire, but it was known more than anything for its worship of the goddess Artemis. She was called Artemis of the Ephesians. They had a huge temple to her there. There was a huge cultic practice there, and people made a lot of money off of that temple and that goddess. And when the message of Jesus began to make a dent in some of the temple business Well, the church got some real enemies. I mean, you read in the book of Acts, the kind of opposition to the church in Ephesus, I'm talking about the city is rioting, rioting for hours. They fill up the amphitheater and it's trying to shout down the message of Jesus by shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for hours and hours. Can you imagine being in that little congregation and Pastor Paul going, well, I gotta go. Preach your gospel some other place. Good luck, guys. Can you imagine that kind of opposition? You look around, and it seems like everything's broken. The whole city, the whole world against you. And you think, how does Jesus reign in this? But you know, Jesus reigns even when it doesn't seem like it. And he's promised us that the gospel works Even when maybe we feel like it doesn't. And he calls on us to trust in him and just do our job. You know what happened in Ephesus? It's interesting. A few years ago, I had the privilege of getting to be in Ephesus. It's a great set of ruins there. You can still go see them. It's in modern day Turkey. And you can actually go into that amphitheater where the people rioted against Paul and against Jesus. And you can stand in the amphitheater. You stand there. You can almost hear the echoes of "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians." But if you look down the amphitheater, see, there's the main road that leads right up to the amphitheater's opening, and the main road goes down to the harbor. And if you look out there, across the main road in the city of Ephesus, there are, there are these five pedestals that kind of that stretch across the main road that used to hold statues. The statues are long gone, but uh, the, the pedestals still stand there. And these statues were actually erected a couple of generations, maybe three generations after Paul was there, and the people rioted against Jesus. Um, this, This city famous for its statues of Artemis of the Ephesians. Although a couple of generations later, the five statues that were put up so that everyone coming into Ephesus and leaving Ephesus knew what this town was about, those five pedestals had nothing to do with Artemis. There were five, for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and a fifth one to hold a cross to let everyone know that this city knew about a cross-broken Savior. I tell you what, Jesus reigns. Sometimes he reigns in the quietest things, like mothers and fathers in Ephesus telling their children about Jesus. Jesus reigns. Sometimes in the quietest moments of people in southwest Atlanta sharing the message with each other Jesus reigns Even in the hurting places of your life Jesus reigns That's why to those disciples staring into the sky the the Angel said stop looking He's gonna come back But you now go get to work Go live and laugh and love and serve. Live lives entirely for the people around you. And trust in all things your brother's reigning. He'll come back soon. God grant it. Amen.